We are in 3 Nephi 17, and this is just such a beautiful chapter. I love this so much. There were so many ahas that I have learned recently on this chapter, in this chapter, excuse me, that I just love this. So very first, first verse, he says it's time for him to go. There's stuff he's got to do. Um, I love verse 2 because he says, I know there's things that you cannot understand. I perceive there are things you cannot understand. And I feel like that in the gospel. I feel like there's a lot I don't understand. And so I love in verse 3, he gives very wise counsel of how we understand, how we come to an understanding of things we don't know. And he says, the first is ponder the things I say. Second is go to my father in my name and pray, ask for an understanding. And then third is prepare your minds to understand for the morrow, for I come to you again. So prepare yourselves. And I love that. And that happens often um, for me with seminary to really prepare. I find that even with early morning seminary, which is at 6 a.m., I have got to wake up by 4 or 4.30 at the latest so that I can prepare my mind so that I understand, but also that I can be an instrument in God's hands to help the kids understand. And so I really love that those verses teach us how we can come to an understanding. And so I love that, that it's not just ask, but that you've got to ponder and you've got to ask the Father and prepare yourself. All of that is important. Okay, verse 5. And it came to pass when Jesus had spoken, he cast his eyes round about on the multitude, and behold, they were in tears. And did look steadfastly on him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer. And I love this. Please don't go. This has been wonderful. Please, do you ever feel that way at the end of conference? Like, no, please don't end. This has been wonderful. Okay, I have it cross-referenced to John chapter 20, verse 17. And that says, Jesus saith unto her, and of course he's talking to Mary, touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my father. And I had a really awesome Sunday school teacher do this and say she had researched and looked to see what that meant. Because she said, I always felt like that was so cold and impersonal. Like, don't touch me. Here's Mary. He loves Mary. Don't touch me. She said, what that means is hold me not don't keep me from doing what I need to do. Not, I'm sure he hugged her. And that was, man, that opened my mind. And this was the immediate scripture that came to mind in 3 Nephi, is when they looked at him steadfastly as if to ask him to stay. And so I have written there, hold me not don't keep me from doing what I need to do because I love you so much. I cannot refuse you. If you ask, I will stay. And so I so love that this is such an example of how much our Savior loves us, how much he desires to bless us. If we ask, he will and so I love that he's like, I've got stuff to do, so please don't ask because I will stay if you ask me. And so I really love that. And then jump down to verse 7. I love this. Have ye any that are sick among you? Bring them hither. Have ye any that are lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous or that are withered or deaf 
or afflicted in any manner. And I have that underlined because he's basically outlined everything he can think of and then says afflicted in any manner. Where aren't we all afflicted in some manner? Don't we all have some sort of affliction? And if he's saying, bring them and I will heal them, wouldn't you stand in line? And I ask my students this, wouldn't you stand in line? And after everyone who was blind, everyone who had some physical ailment, deaf or lame or something that you could visually see, wouldn't you stand in line for a blessing and aren't there people who you know who are broken inside or afflicted inside in some manner that you would stand in line? And if it took three seconds a person, and that's a quick estimation, to fill the wounds in his hands and feet inside, imagine how long this took. Wouldn't you wait? Wouldn't it be worth it? And can you imagine, don't you think every single person would want a blessing? And I love that thought um, because I know as a mom, I would wait. And not only would I wait for myself, I would have my six children and with them saying, Mom, I don't need one. I would be going, oh, yes, you do. Let me tell you what's wrong with you that I need him to heal. <laughs> but all of us are afflicted in some manner. Okay, and then I love in 8, it says, For I perceive you desire that I should show to you what I have done for your brethren at Jerusalem. For I see that your faith is sufficient that I should heal you. And this I have Elder Bednar's conference talk, which is, Do you have the faith not to be healed? And the reason I love this is I have a friend that's a seminary teacher who shared just the sweetest experience. He said, at one point in time after hearing Elder Bednar's talk, he asked his entire family and all of his friends to fast and pray for him. And he called the bishop and asked the bishop to come that Sunday, prepare that Sunday. They were all going to fast and pray for him to be healed. And he, he deals with bipolar depression. And he said, and I may have said this in a past um, podcast, but he said as he sat there in the bishop and he knew he was prepared. He knew everyone else's faith. He knew he had the faith sufficient to be healed. But as the bishop laid his hands on his head, he said, I will not heal you because there are so many who come to you because you have compassion and know what they're going through. And I cannot take this away because of the people you bless. And he said it was just such a powerful thing to know God was behind it and had a purpose and a plan. And so I love that. Do you have the faith not to be healed? Do you have the faith to be healed? But even greater than that, do you trust God's will? So I love that. And then it tells us in 9 exactly my thinking. And it came to pass when he had spoken all the multitude with one accord did go forth with their sick, their afflicted, their lame, their blind, their dumb, all who were afflicted in any manner. That's everyone. And he did heal them, everyone, as they brought him them forth unto him. 
and I love them, and I love in ten, and they did all, both they who had been healed and they who were whole, bow down at his feet and worship him, and as many as could come did kiss his feet, insomuch they did bathe his feet with their tears. And I just love that. I just love the thought of that. And then I love in 11 that he said he commanded the little children should be brought. Okay, so it seems to me maybe some of the little children didn't have to be healed. Maybe the parents, knowing that those little kids are perfect and don't have great trials or affirmities or sins that they've got to be healed of, didn't bring the little children. And it says in 13 that Christ commands the multitude to kneel down, and he kneels down and groans In 14, I am troubled because of the wickedness of the people. And what I have written down there is he doesn't want anyone to suffer. He doesn't want any of them to deal with the consequences. And that's his whole purpose of giving us commandments is that he wants our life to be filled with joy and to be filled with goodness. He hates when he looks down and sees us suffer. But more than that, he hates when we needlessly suffer from not being obedient. And so he is troubled for the wickedness. He doesn't want any of us to suffer. Okay, he knows there's a purpose in it because it will bring us to him. But I love that. He groans like, please just do what I'm asking. And I feel that as a parent. Okay, and then it says in 15 that he prayed. And I love in 16 that the eye has not seen nor ear heard so great and marvelous things as they heard Jesus speak. And then in 17, no tongue can speak, neither can be written, neither can the hearts of men conceive so great and marvelous things as they saw and heard Jesus speak. And isn't that beautiful? Holy night, that is just, it was so marvelous, there are no words. They can't even write it down except to tell us it was so good. I can't tell you what he said. It's just beyond my my ability to put into words, and I love that. And then it tells us, no one can conceive of the joy. And again, this is in 17, which filled our souls at the time we heard him pray for us unto the Father. And I have right there, Nephi talks about the joy that filled his soul when he ate the fruit. And I've just seen that again when Alma talks to his sons, Helaman and Shiblon, and we have recorded the account. He tells them of the joy, the minute he called on the name of Christ that filled his soul. Well, we know that fruit is the love of God. And so right there, it is the love of God that fills them. And that is the fruit that we have all throughout the scriptures, the love of God, which fills us with joy. And then it tells us in 18 that the joy of the multitude, they were overcome. It was so great. And I love that because we know that's Christ's love. And with Christ's love, it gives us the ability to do even more, be even more than we were before, to repent and to desire and know that he is with us and helping us become who we need to become. And so I love that. And then it also says in verse 20, because of your faith, he rises and says, blessed are you because of your faith and his joy is full, which means his love of the people is full. And I love that. And when he said these words in 21, he wept. 
And I once had my mom told me the most beautiful experiences. She read this. She realized it made her cry. She was overcome. He had spent his whole life with the people that did not accept him as the Savior, did not believe in him as the Savior. And here he is right after being crucified from his own people that he grew up with. And here he is in this multitude that wholeheartedly accepts him. And he weeps. He is just overcome. It is all worth it. Everything he sacrificed, the atonement, everything he went through, he realizes it is all worth it. And I know he realizes it before, but she just said it just so hit her. It was the love of the people and their faith in him for the first time he felt that and was filled to overflowing with joy and wept. And I love that thought. That was such a huge insight. And so that's always struck me as I've read this. I thought it was so beautiful. And then he tells us um, that he blesses the children. So if they didn't bring their children to be blessed, if they didn't feel their children had infirmities, guess what? He covers them too and blesses them too. So I really wonder if anyone in this multitude of 2,500 people walked away without a blessing. And if they did, I've got to tell you, I've got to believe that they regretted it because he was willing to bless them all. And I love that. And then it tells us that the angels came down and there was fire, and they encircled the little ones, and the whole multitude did see and hear and bear record, and that's where we know it was 2,500 people. And so I want to reflect back for a minute at the temple right after this three days of darkness, and right after all of these storms and earthquake and turmoil and everything they've gone through and weeping and wailing and all the destruction, and here are these people, and that's how we know it's 2,500 people who are marveling, they're not crying, they're not weeping, they're not wailing, and they have gathered at the temple, and they are marveling, because what has been prophesied their entire lives, what they have steadfastly waited for, has come, and here comes the Savior. And so I love here the blessings and the miracles and the gifts that these people who were so steadfast in a sea of wickedness, what they get, the joy, the love of God that they are filled with. And I just love this chapter. I think it is beautiful. I hope you know the church is true. And more than that, I hope you know how much our Savior loves you.